Welcome to City Talks, a monthly podcast looking at the big issues facing UK cities and the latest thinking on urban policy. I'm your host, Andrew Carter, from the think tank Centre for Cities. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to this edition of City Talks. Today, my guest is Mark Moreau. Mark is a senior fellow at the Brookings Metro, which is part of the Brookings Institution. Uh, Welcome, Mark. The focus of our discussion is the Chips and Science Act, which was recently signed into law by President Biden, and in particular, the place-based elements of the act. And in some ways, this is a follow-up episode to the one that we recorded back in January 2020, when we discussed the excellent report that you and colleagues at the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation published, which looked at the increasingly skewed geography of the US innovation economy and set out a bunch of proposals to change it, which the act is taking forward. So it's a nice bit of, you know, you the analysis was done and now we're seeing action on the on the ground, which is encouraging. Um, for those listeners that are not familiar with the Chips and Science Act, Mark, can you just give us uh, give us a little bit about you know what it is, but also I suppose because it's a big act with lots in it. What's the sort of history to it? What's the background to it? And then we'll zone in on some of the the specifics around the regional industrial policy bit. That it is. It is a big, sprawling, long, long in gestation uh, effort. So, uh, well, thanks a lot, and Andrew. It's great to talk with you. We're big admirers of uh, what you all are doing at Center for Cities. Uh, so, I'll give you a little history here. I mean, the bill is a major, quite epical uh, convergence of a long gestating bill on shoring up U.S. leadership in semiconductors with $52 billion in subsidies for research, factories, and training in that industry. Uh, And that's called the CHIPS Act of 2022. Uh, It's a portion of this. But plus another $200 billion authorized but not appropriated aimed at boosting U.S. science and R&D investments, which have been slumping for a decade, you know, so the later latter provisions call for providing something like $81 billion over five years for the National Science Foundation, uh, uh, $36 billion over its baseline, $10 billion for regional tech hubs, which we're going to want to talk about, which is a distinctive uh, uh, arrival. What's interesting here is the extent to which the CHIPS and the Science Act, especially on the CHIPS side and on the regional side, is a bipartisan piece of legislation that snuck out through a particular alignment here, but actually had substantial Republican votes as well. Uh, Numerous Republicans have for several years been aligning around the CHIPS agenda with its drive to counter Chinese mercantilism and digital industrial policy with major investments in reshoring semiconductor production, boosting research. This summer, Democrats in leadership and some Republicans saw the wisdom of merging together uh, the science programs into the CHIPS vehicle and moving the whole thing as an unprecedented thrust of, you know, really industrial policy by U.S. standards. Uh, So here we are with something like $250 billion in a big package receiving a lot of attention with the chips billions appropriated and the rest awaiting funding in a lame duck session. So significant uncertainty about the funding, but the 
the uh, this is very much part of the budget now and, and a very much uh, uh, a live action here. To fulfill the ambitions of this, you know, we need to secure the funding for the science portion. As of now, Congress is considering pass to provide initial funding in the lame duck for key priorities like the tech hubs in year one or year two of the NSF fundings, which itself would be better than in history. We tend to have a history of not funding some of this stuff. There is some sense that some of this has broad enough support that we may see it. So we'll see. But the hope is Democratic and Republican champions of science, R&D, workforce, and regional policy are going to come together to really finish the deal here. Yeah. And the fact that it's bipartisan, Mark, would give would give greater confidence or you know hope that um, it might evolve along the way, but essentially the, you know, the tenants of what's trying to be achieved, uh, you know, will endure and won't and won't get significantly stopped or or watered down. Is is that fair? It's absolutely critical here. Uh, you know, first, the chips piece of this, with its international competition competitiveness frame, you know, help pull along the rest of this, but this isn't purely a science or democratic agenda. Yeah. Uh, and interestingly, the regional tech hubs are one of the convergence points where, uh, you know, 15, 15, 16, 17 Republicans were in on this and not just passively in, you know, these are often uh, small state, uh, red state uh, senators who saw actual benefits for this kind of uh, regional policy to pull up some of their heartland and other small states. And we can talk more about this, but this the, the, truly, the true breakthrough, I think, is around the regional piece of this, yeah. Yeah. which is you know, an area that when the United States has not been an area of you know, uh, advances. No, well, let's get into that. So, as you say, as part of the you know this very big um, broad agenda, there is a very sizable strand of it which relates to you know building out the these regional tech hubs. Uh, so say a little bit about what the act is envisaging, but also I think just for you know for listeners, this this very directly builds on analysis and recommendations that you did um, a couple of years ago that really showed the nature of the innovation economy where it was, where it wasn't, and then what we needed to do about that if we wanted to change that particularly skewed nature. Yeah. So just give us a bit of the, what is the act trying to do in the in the regional policy strand, but also where, where does that come from? Wonderful, Andrew. And first, uh, I want to call out uh, the illustrious history of UK uh, regional strategy, regional analysis that has you know, earlier than the United States identified uh, the massive uh, divergence of UK cities and is clearly a lineage of our work. And I also want to mention the work of uh, Simon Johnson and Jonathan Gruber, uh, who about the same at MIT at about the same time we brought out our work came to similar uh, conclusions. What, what was the thesis? The thesis is that the United States economy has fallen prey to massive, not just incremental, massive regional divides between especially tech-wired superstar uh, hubs along the coast. You know, uh, this is the Boston's, New York's, 
Seattle, San Francisco of the world, and not just some other places. Essentially, all places in the United States went sideways in the last decade plus, while uh, about five places dominated uh, new innovation job uh, creation. Well, our figure, our factor was about 91% of new innovation sector jobs in the period 2005 to 2017 were surfaced in these coastal superstars. So this was an arresting uh, factoid. We did this work uh, uh, just after the 2016 elections. So on both sides of the Atlantic, massive observations that something was amiss with the political economy of the two nations. For those of us who see ec economy as a critical part of political economy, uh, look to figures like this. In your case, obviously, the massive uh, financial sector divides between uh, the city and the rest of uh, the UK. It was somewhat newer in the United States. The United States has long believed that convergence was occurring and that the South, say, was catching up. Uh, this work and others demonstrated that, in fact, not at all. We've been seeing really a quite uh, massive example of regional divergence. So that work, you know, has salience. Uh, this epidemic of divergence, uh, I think, was seen as a significant issue. People concerned about the state of politics realized that this might be have something to do with it. Uh, and so we've seen, meanwhile, that some places out there actually have real potential. So there's a lot of wasted talent and wasted uh, insights. Some have advanced sector presence. Some have major universities across uh, the U.S. heartland, and the locations of some major corporations are in those areas. So there's, it's not a vast terra incognita. It's an area of potential. And I think the recognition of the negative side effects of extreme imbalance and the recognition that there is value out in the rest of the country uh, came together and allowed this moment of uh, uh, some receptivity to considering uh, uh, actual strategies. Remember, in the United States, there has not been a recognition of the problem, so there certainly was no recognition of the need for policy. All of that has sort of shifted, and there's now, I think, a bipartisan recognition that we have a problem, and secondarily, that we may need stringent action you know, possibly place-based industrial policy, which we're, we have signed on to in the United States now. Yeah, and 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 I think brilliant. I think in, in some respects, you know, you, you really interesting thing that for you and I that often start with, um, you know, the economy of political economy, actually, I think some of our arguments have gained strength more recently. I wonder if you agree because of the mm -hmm. politics of the way that the economy is organizing itself across space which then creates some political challenges or issues that you know politicians are naturally wanting to deal with and so you gain their interest on the economy side because they're you know they're politically challenged whether they're at the national level the state level or the the local level i think it's it's a real sort of interesting dynamic we see a similar dynamic in the in the uk which is why we've had this sort of resurgence around the leveling up agenda it's is now called is in part as much about politics as it is about about uh, about economics, I think. I think that's true. 
Over here, uh, there's a clear bipartisan convergence around this particular issue. We don't have that many bipartisan convergences in the United States, but small state conservatives who maybe have a great university town and maybe a significant outpost of uh, a, a equipment manufacturer in their community, but see that the growth is occurring elsewhere are all in, as are, you know, more Democrats who also are seeing challenges in their region. So I think there's a significant convergence around this divergence and its political implications. Yeah. Uh, this is, you know, now we do have a discussion about whether the main uh, oppositions in our country are uh, cultural, that is part of the picture, but I think that there's a growing sense that the extremity of these divides is likely part of the picture. Yeah, no, correct. I, well, I think very similar um, uh, in the UK as well. Um, so, so if that's the, the the sort of background in terms of the problem as it manifests, and then your work that you did, Mark, say a little bit about what's in the act that ex that is explicit. Um, in dealing with or trying to deal with, you know, this regional question or the geography question, and particularly, you know, picking up your idea about growth poles orientated yeah. around innovation, technology, uh, and investment. Yeah, absolutely. Now, first, the appropriated chips acts elements are actually massive subsidies that have already led to uh, the arrival of multi-billion dollar uh, semiconductor fan plants, one in Columbus, uh, Ohio, which is doing all right, an Intel plant, but more interestingly, a Micron plant in upstate New York in a, in a challenged area around Syracuse. So we've realized that the subsidies themselves are going to have an interesting place-based element. Mm -hmm. But as we turn to the regional tech hubs, we're turning to explicit place-based industrial policy of a scale that we haven't seen in you know, 50 years in the United States. Uh, these are variant of challenge grants at a new scale, substantial. Uh, we're talking about uh, ultimately significant federal money flowing into the most compelling uh, 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 proposals uh, across uh, United States metropolitan areas focused on key technologies. So it can't be just anything. Uh, it, these are key key competitive technologies, and uh, with significant uh, uh, funding available to the most compelling consortia advancing potentially, uh, you know. Uh, transformative uh, economic development strategies around innovation. Um, we're talking uh, ultimately about 20 awards, so enough to begin to make a difference across the map. Um, we're talking, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars for each of these. We're talking about a $10 billion uh, program. This has really captured a lot of attention uh, on both sides of the aisle. And, you know, I think there's the possibility uh, of a very carefully designed program, uh, very uh, painstaking work going on across the government to do this right. I think they are doing this the right way and 
asking for consultation, bringing to bear uh, uh, the best expertise, and, and really trying to design something that will make a difference. These you know, are intended to be uh, an unprecedented scale. They really are intended to change the trajectory of places, not just to be edgewise small ball, but to really shove places with compelling prospects onto a faster and better growth uh, trajectory. And it's all merit-based. You know, these have to be absolutely impeccable uh, on the science, on the technology, and on the execution. They also are likely going to hold out for social inclusion, high-quality training, modern uh, practices. So another benefit could be to you know, help shove places into you know, leading-edge status. And so on the... On the um... The identified or potential, well, the twenty, they are they are outside of the existing hotspots, right? So they're not Seattle or Silicon Valley or San Diego or New York. These are these are other places, but um, that there, it's also not a sort of flat Earth policy where you're essentially trying to create these things where there is nothing. It is trying to genuinely identify where there is something, whatever the something is, that can be built on and enhanced rather than something that need, needs to be created from, you know, from a new or from a fresh. Is that is that right, Mark? Yeah, very much so. These are not build it and they will come uh, opportunities. Uh, I think they'll be very competitive. And I think it's uh, a sign of how out of practice we are and really uh, unknowledgeable we are about what's out there. I think that the, the evidence of some of the other uh, challenge grants that have been stood up recently that maybe we could talk about is are already pointing to extremely sophisticated business uh, specializations. So there's a lot out there actually that really has been left on the table. Uh, the idea here is to call forth the best uh, uh, organizations, the best consortia, and the best ideas, you know, to really drive growth. You know, there are significant ways that the spatial allocation is discussed in, in the bill, but that will tend to push these into new areas of the country and sometimes smaller, uh, smaller states. Yeah. And do you imagine that there will be, you know, if, if the if the, the number is roughly 20 or, you know, if that's the target, do you imagine, you know, hundreds applying or, I mean, you know, I, I'm going back now to thinking about in a slightly different world, but like the Amazon HQ2 type of, you know, which we watched from afar, you know, there were literally hundreds in the end of, of applications, many of them not remotely realistic, but you understand why they, but do you have a sense as to how many might actually, actually come forward in terms yeah. of the totality of, of submissions? It will be huge. And again, testifying to, I think, the unmet need and the latent uh, talent and, and uh, uh, insight out in the country. Uh, an example, uh, the, recently the uh, uh, Economic Development Administration announced the winners of a, of a similarly structured, smaller uh, challenge grant uh, called the Build Back Better Regional Challenge, focused on uh, regional uh, innovation clusters. Mm -hmm. uh, 560 applications led to, you know, 20 plus awards. Wow. 
So there's just a latent, uh, you know, demand, I think, and I think latent potential. Uh, if you think of this as a, a portfolio, there's gonna, it's going to be loaded with some very compelling efforts, and especially the big uh, regional hubs, mm. which is the largest of these. Yeah, and I, I'm, you, you alluded to a little bit in, in what you were saying, but and I, I appreciate it's early days, but have they set out yet um, some of the criteria that they might use to to select? And do you, is there a sense yet as to who's going to do the, you know, the selecting? Is it is it exclusively, you know, national government, or will they will there be a sort of partnership approach between national government and you know states or? localities have, have they given much do you know much about that where are we on on the detail of that so this will be the the, the regional tech clubs will be a federal competition um uh, but with inputs from across uh the government including from the uh and the national science foundation uh likely uh nist and of course the commerce department uh and there are significant signals about what the point of the program is in the legislation, which mm -hmm. it you know points to not just uh, you know technology development, but it's diffusion, uh, job creation is part of it, entrepreneurship is hoped for, and uh, you know various elements of uh, you know, social and uh, uh, workforce inclusion are all called for. So there, there, this will be significant. Uh, it will be a major competition. We won't see the actual, you know, request for uh, proposals until uh, uh, next year, if this if this is fully funded, and it won't be until the year after that we start seeing uh, this, you know, stand up of new new uh, consortia. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it so this will be a major galvanizing event. We're already, meanwhile, seeing that though from some of the other. Uh, uh, smaller uh, proposals, uh, uh, programs along this line. So I think, and I think the whole nation and, you know, scores of its regions are now getting the hang of this way of doing business, this use of challenge grants, the need for places to put together their best shot mm. on transformation and have it evaluated by very, you know, tough. Yeah, because uh, I was I was going to ask you how... Um... You know, you're in regular contact with um, states and localities yeah. across the across yeah. the, the U.S. How has this gone down? You know, with them. You know, I can imagine them on the one hand being excited, but are they also like, oh, you know, something else to bid for? Will we win? We have a little bit of it. We have quite a bit of this actually in, on this side of the. Can't we just have the money? Uh, you know, not another thing to bid for. You know, I can see the I can see the the pros and cons of this, but how has it gone down with? you know, with the cities and the localities and the states that you're in contact with? Yeah, for public consumption, there's uh, extreme, you know, excitement. And yeah. quite frankly, there, the United States is short on uh, this kind of money, probably. So I think there are tremendous, there's tremendous excitement. There is weariness with the kind of... Uh, you know, fire drills that these have required. Uh, the Build Back Better Regional Challenge had very tough turns around with very ambitious, demanded proposals. Uh, so I think that that, that has been a challenge. Uh, there's been an exhaustion. 
And I think there's, and the government is needing to guard against a kind of special exhaustion for the places who maybe need some of this most. And, and all of the uh, programs I have uh, mentioned, and I'm sure the regional tech hubs will also include two-phase uh, competitions. And I think that's deceptively and extremely important. You know, many regions are not quite ready, but need a year. And in some cases, up, you know, in regional tech, in the Build Back Better Regional Challenge, I think it was something like $500,000. So significant infusions to put together that compelling, transformative uh, strategy. So if that it doesn't exist now, these programs are helping to bring that into, into focus in these communities. I think that is extremely important. You know, my travels are revealing tremendous excitement about this, though. And I think it's there are multiple programs uh, out there now, uh, you know, turning city after city and region after region uh, upside down. And I think it's going to, you know, have a tremendous latent benefit and kind of positive spillover of just going through this process, I think it's going to be tremendously beneficial to a lot of regions that are going to wind up with plans, maybe that haven't been funded by the federal government, but could be funded by local philanthropy or what have you, and now have a better, you know, focus on transformation for the next five years. Yeah, yeah. Sort of taking a step back from uh, from the, the particular program, yeah. Mark. I mean, what's your reflections on what does this tell us about you know the state of sort of place based industrial policy within you know the U.S.'s sort of economic policy agenda more generally? You know, like the the U.K., you know, there is always a a, a sense of skepticism about this. This is essentially zero sum. It's primarily about you know just moving stuff around there's no net gain to that you know that's the things we hear quite a lot uh when we engage in this area but you know take a step back i mean are we optimistic are you optimistic that maybe there's a broader change a broader sort of evolution going on in terms of how we think about place-based industrial policy within that broad economic policy agenda you know we we may maybe i'll be frustrated uh by the next funding uh hoops and the lame duck, and maybe uh, we won't see the particular program with the regional tech hubs immediately. Uh, I think there's hope that there's going to be a partial uh, startup of that program. But I think the genie is out of the, the bottle, uh, even in the United States, uh, maybe especially in the United States. Uh, uh, there's something broader in the air, multiple similarly structured programs speaking to this this constant problem of, of regional divides, which I think has really uh, captured attention. Uh, we're talking about the, this Build Back Better Regional Challenge and the Rescue Plan, National Science Foundation's regional engines, many of the green economy features in the Deficit Reduction Act have this focus on a challenge grant or regional cluster development. You know, I think there is a new recognition that the United States does, in fact, have an imbalance problem, that there are tremendous negative economic and political side effects of that. And then, in fact, there are plausible 
peer-reviewed possible approaches to counter it. And that's the other thing. That, that's the part that surprised me, that we quite quickly in the United States, maybe let's say dating to 2016, recognized we had a problem mm. and moved towards actual uh, policy responses. So we'll see, but I don't think that the, you know, this gene, particular genie goes back into the bottle now. Yeah. The question is going to be, where's the funding going to come from on a consistent basis over time, over the next decade? But, you know, the, the plausibility of the response is visible, and we frankly haven't seen, you know, significant uh, counterattacks. Uh, you know, and there's a significant right of center sympathy for industrial policy in the United States. So I think that helps. Yeah, I think we've seen something very similar in, in the UK. I mean, I think it, it's been striking to me, at least over the last uh, period where, you know, the the recognition of, um, you know, the some of the extreme inequalities that we see between places has increasingly been talked about as a kind of national growth a national competitiveness problem, not just one of redistribution in the sense that a recognition that you don't have to trade off between, let's say, equity and efficiency yeah. or equity and growth, where, you know, maybe in the past that was the traditional view, right? You either went for, you know, fast rates of growth and then be maybe redistributed through the tax system or whatever it might be. Uh, you can actually think about uh, dealing with inequality issues, spatial and otherwise, as actually yeah. part of your growth plan, and I, I, I guess it's something similar on, on your side of the, uh, of the of the water as well. The term we use, you know, that there are tremendous inequalities of, among people and among places. You know, I think the the people problem was recognized earlier. The place problem has now arrived as well. The place problem is one way to approach the people problem in many of these places as well. And uh, I think there's tremendous potential right now. Uh, and we'll see, you know, how these other programs at smaller scale, which are already well underway and beginning to flow money into places, are going to have, you know, we'll see the, the effect they have. But I think we're also, you know, are in need of this substantial intervention. At, at a really large scale as well. Can you say a little bit about uh, some of more of those? Pro you mentioned the regional engines uh, scheme, which you know I think you're particularly interested in, and think it's you know it's got some good characteristics about it. Just give just fill us out in terms of the you know the the, the suite of activity that's going on that all I guess all feeds into this sort of place based industrial policy uh, development. Well, it's it's uh, quite uh, noteworthy that the NSF the nation's great institution flowing a spatial R&D investment into our universities, which is as close as we have gone towards any kind of spatial industrial policy, has seen fit to create an explicitly spatial and geographical program focused on the trans transition of research work into actual uh, application. So that's a whole new focus for uh, the, the NSF. It's significant. And it is, uh, again, a similar challenge grant. Uh, they will name five quite large recipients, not as large as the regional tech hubs, but larger than the Build Back Better regional challenges, which were around 50 to 60 million. 
these these may be several hundred million uh, into places. And you know they're looking again for you know specific, well-defined consortia, great programs and strategies for transitioning uh, innovation insights into you know place-based economic development and job creation. Um, and you know they will they will be naming uh, a large number of first-round finalists in, in uh, next year. So this is also happening. And it's also creating a lot of excitement in hundreds of U.S. metropolitan areas. They're going to receive hundreds of applications. Mm -hmm. So you can, what I'm trying to convey is this sense of not just something in the air, but something on the ground that is turning scores and scores of places upside down in these intense, excited turnarounds to develop, you know, truly compelling programs. So the ancillary benefits of all of this activity are going to be very beneficial for the United States uh, regions, I believe. Yes, even the places that don't win in round one or, or they don't win on particular scheme X or particular scheme uh, Y, in a sense, they'll have done some of the hard yards and some of the, you know, the, the foundation development work, which puts them in a better position, as you say, either for future rounds of schemes or to then be attractive to um you know to other funders or other investors whether they're from the philanthropic sector or from the private sector as well yeah well well said and i think going through the process is itself potentially transformative for some communities and i can only think could be tremendous benefits across the uk for that kind of stimulative uh, uh activity yeah, no, quite. Are there particular lessons already or kind of experiences that I can't, I know it's appreciate it's early days, uh, Mark, but as always, you know, in the in the UK, we, we kind of look, we often look to the US as as much as this, or in fact, more often than we maybe do look to, to European uh, counterparts for some policy lessons and experiences. Are there things that are, you know, that we should be aware of already that are beginning to surface that, you know, when you're trying to devise these sorts of things or think about them that we can see already, we should have in our mind? Uh, well, no doubt that first first takeaway known by all of us uh, through suffering is nothing is easy. Uh, this moment has taken, you know, even though this has moved, proceeded fairly rapidly, uh, had a long and winding legislative uh, uh, tale that has required very high members of both parties to make sure that it kept going. This, there were several near-death experiences on, on uh, say, the regional tech hubs. And there may be more in the future with the funding piece. But so the difficulty is true, but uh, it, there's no substitute for having several committed Republicans or Bipartisan, you know, the bipartisan commitment, I think, is essential and possible on this topic if you can get that. And it was has proven absolutely essential. Uh, Senator Todd Young of Indiana has been a critical, steady proponent. So that's part of this. Uh, it, so it appeals across the political spectrum. Uh, that is absolutely true. And then I think that having in place uh, a concept for some kind of rigorous structure uh, and program is critical here. And I think the, the challenge grant 
for format has proven sensible to people across the spectrum. There just has not been a lot of criticism about graft or handing money out to you know the wrong people. Mm -hmm. The evident clarity and uh, focus and rigor of these structures, the features that call for self-created consortia, but with key you know stipulations about what that looks like, has been, I think, plausible to a lot of uh, people across the spectrum. So I think you got to get the politics right, but the policy needs to be rigorous and sharp. And, uh, you know, I think that that has helped allay anxieties around this in the United States. And what's your view on the selection or the, the, the identification that they're going to be 20? You know, I mean, it could have been more, it could have been less, but I guess that, you know, there was there must have been a huge temptation to say let's do a hundred, right? So hundred places get not very much money, yeah. uh, which in theory would have been idea, you know, would have been good politically because then everybody can say, well, you know, my bit has got something, but actually in reality, the effects on the ground would have been pretty minimal because, you know, spreading the spreading the jam as we um, as we call it on this side of the Atlantic, where you know everybody gets something but nowhere gets enough to make a material. Yeah and long lasting change, given the nature of what they're trying yeah. to achieve, is always yeah. the risk we run. So uh, do, you, do you think there is, you know, there's real merit in saying, look, you know, there are only going to be 20, you know, or a small number, because we, we feel we can make meaningful change in those places, and they're going to require quite a significant uh, level of investment over a fairly, you know, over a five or 10 year period. What's your thought on that? Yeah, absolutely, and I should have uh, named that as a core feature. Dis discussions that we led and others led were insistent on scale, uh, insistent on doing something that actually made a difference. The history in the United States is what we call spreading the peanut butter. So there's our uh, lunchtime metaphor. But spreading the, uh, the peanut butter has typically meant small ball, very uh, de minimis uh, programs, maybe even competitive, but not particularly sizable that won't make much of a difference. And I think there is a, a sense if we're gonna do this, we really need to have programs that can really change the trajectory of places. And I think that is, I think you put your finger on something that is very important here and is brought support to this, that this might might be, you know, transformative. It's interesting, the story here, the, the Tech Hub's idea started with seven or eight. Uh, so, you know, the peanut butter element was there, but I think that this number is probably, uh, you know, necessarily responsive to particular uh, political demands. Uh, there needs to be sufficient uh, hubs, I think, but it's not, I, I don't think it's out of control. And I think it, you know, will lead to still substantial uh, hubs. But the the idea was even smaller, uh, even smaller number with even more funding mm. per hub. Yeah. Uh, the hope is, to, you know, to really change the trajectory of th these places. We have other programs on mm. at smaller denominations but still all bigger than anything historically. Uh, so I think the scale has been lifted and that's another aspect that may not wind up back in the bottle. Yeah.
no, quite. Well, we're we're having a similar set of conversations here, which is the government has an aspiration to increase the amount of uh, spending or uh, uh, that goes into science and into R and D and into innovation, and it also has uh, a commitment to spend more of that increase outside of some of the hotspots, particularly in and around London, Cambridge, and. Oxford, the Golden Triangle, as it's known here, and one of the things we've been working with them on is 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 to work them about how to the identify where some of those places are and to resist the temptation to essentially spread that investment over a great number of places, rather yeah. than say actually we think we can make some quite significant difference if we pick a smaller number, you know, number to be determined. Uh, but a smaller number where actually we can make a, a significant difference if we coordinate the, the types of interventions that we would want through universities, but also through the workforce and through firms as well. So there are some nice parallels between, you know, where the, where the, um, the program is on your side and on, on our side. I mean, just to finish, Mark, what's the, um, what's the next steps now for the, you know, for the, for the act or what are, it's, it's kind of past some hurdles there are a few hurdles to, but just give us a sense as to where, you know, where you think it is and, and what comes next, as it were. Yeah, the, so you know, substantial dollars are authorized, but that does not mean appropriated. And we're now going to be heading into another complicated uh, dance around the lame duck after possibly a you know a difficult election for the Democrats. So. We'll see, uh, but I think there are a lot of the same actors, including Republican senators of great prominence who wanna see uh, uh, this regional tech hubs uh, piece funded or at least started. There could be uh, an initial uh, infusion of, uh, to allow initial competitions and to the beginning of the funding, uh, there could be, uh, down payment on the big funding flows to the NSF. So we'll see. Those are things that are going to be in the air, you know, through between now and the end of the year. So, you know, those will be, though there is uncertainty, uh, you know, but uh, I'm hearing uh, cautiously, cautious optimism that the program can get started. That's a very uh, good optimistic note uh, to finish on. And we should say, I should have said at the beginning, we we are actually recording this on the day of the midterm elections, so America is out to vote. So when you reference what might come next, the time I'm sure people actually listen to it, they will know. But you and I at this stage don't know what the outcome of the uh, of the of those elections are going to be. So it's important to say that. But as always, Mark, it's brilliant to talk to you. Um, I really appreciate you spending a bit of time giving us a heads up on where the program is, and um, we should do this more often. But for now, thanks for being part of City Talks. Thank you for listening to this episode of City Talks brought to you by Centre for Cities. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher by searching Centre for Cities. Please rate, review and subscribe if you liked what you heard. You can also follow the Centre on Twitter at Centre for Cities or like us on LinkedIn for the latest updates on what the Centre is up to. If you have any comments on the episode or suggestions for topics we should cover in the future, we'd love to hear from you. Do tweet us or send an email to info at centreforcities.org. The music was from Palace Fires by Johnny Foreigner, used with permission and all rights are reserved.